So you might notice in the Tim Draper episode, uh, there's a very sort of abrupt ending to it. It doesn't naturally end so comfortably like I would expect. And that's basically because he was really late and said he only had 20 minutes. And I managed to end up milking him for about 45 to 60 minutes, which was pretty impressive. And in the end, his PA came down and went absolutely nuts and was staring us both down. It was like we were naughty school kids. He actually had an interview with the president of Estonia. So only slightly more important than me. And he'd kept her waiting. So I did a good job getting everything I could out of him in that short amount of time. But yeah, if you're wondering what happens at the end, now you know. Hope you enjoyed. To be a hero, you have to take long odds at an extraordinary outcome. Or, hey, my company is not doing what it should be for its customers. I need to start a company that does a better job for its customers. Okay, so we have Tim Draper, the founder of DFJ, Draper Associates, and Draper University with us today. Hi, Tim. Terrific. Well, thanks for having me here. Well, thank you. It's your building. You, know, you walked in like you own the place, and you literally <laughs> do. This is not, not often that we get to do that. So basically, all you need to know if you're listening outside the Valley is he is one of the great legacy names known best for, well, very positive attributes, as I've just experienced, a warm smile, a suit, I mean, I wrote this script out and you've come in doing all these things <laughs> and a firm handshake. There you go. All three. Terrific. Off. And, a and a Bitcoin tie. And a Bitcoin tie. Of course you have. Um, his unique ability to pick out opportunities explains why you might have heard of him as one of the most prolific Bitcoin supporters and owners. But he also focuses on the realities of startup investings, pushing the term cockroach more than unicorn. But more on that in a little bit, please. So, well, that's my son. I've got to say that Adam is really the one who's pushed the cockroach. He's the cockroach, okay. And he has done a beautiful job of it. As soon as he realized that cockroaches are the only animals that survive a nuclear holocaust, he thought, well, those are the people we really need. So we I've need seen that branded all over the place. Yeah, and, oh, and, absolutely. And, and how do you feel about that kind of term? Just, you know, someone uh, you know, in well, your family taking the fresh approach? I think it's great because at that stage, at the stage where it, where it goes through boost, through the accelerator, people have to be the cockroach. They have to be willing to go through a nuclear holocaust in order to survive as a startup. And then we have a term that's sort of beyond unicorn, which is the rhino. And that's the mascot of Draper University is a big rhino breaking through glass. And the reason we have that as our motto is a rhino, rhino is just a fat unicorn. Yeah, you almost said One a that got really big. Yeah, rhinocorn. <laughs> uh, a rhinocorn, but it's real. I mean, right. rhinocorn is real, real just to clarify for everyone. I'm, I haven't lost my shit, but hey, a rhino. Is... I might go with rhinocorn. Rhinocorn's pretty good. I kind of like a yeah. rhinocorn. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Good there idea. you go. You Ooh, heard it here changed. first. You did. Fantastic. You may have changed what we have. Well, good to have mascot. contributed something. See, not, not all British people just think small. We merge things together. A word, a word merge. There you go. Now you know. Nice. It's like a British specialty. I like words. Anyway. Hopefully this little interlude has loosened you up. So um, we don't have too much time because you are obviously a very busy man. And actually, I've noticed you've got the president of Estonia coming in today. To yes, to we do. Um, You're yeah, downgrading she's... after me. I can't believe you do <laughs> well, that. Well, <laughs> depends on how you look at it. That guy? But she is um, terrific and doing a, a nice job in keeping going the virtual citizenship, virtual residency that they've got going in, in Estonia that her... It was really her predecessor who was the real visionary behind it. And the prime minister, predecessor prime minister, came to Draper University about four years ago 
and said, just by instituting digital signatures, we save 2% of our GDP. And then digital voting encouraged all the young people to vote. And then digital identity improved the business climate and um, shrunk the crime rate. Then he handed me a card and made me a virtual resident of Estonia. And so I can buy any property I want in the EU. I can set up a bank account, all that without ever having set foot in Estonia. And it kind of got me thinking that there is a possibility that, in effect, small governments might be able to fight above their weight class because they'll be able to work on this virtual level and attract people who aren't necessarily domiciled in their own territory. So the the fiefdom, the tribalism, that will probably disappear over time while governments start working more on a virtual level and we become more citizens of the earth. And ironically, I actually went on a, um, a trade mission to Estonia and I actually met the same guy, had the same similar talk, I'd imagine. The difference is I had to go to Estonia for it. So <laughs> it was less sort of, you could be in Estonia right now, but what well, we are. But, you know, actually to take that point a, sli- a slightly further, you know, that sort of, uh, from an investment point of view, is a little bit like, you know, looking at Africa, the way they've approached banking, going to mobile phone first, and India was shopping and mobile phones first. You see that sort of trend when you get to, with emerging countries, um, no matter their size, you get to skip out all the nonsense that's come before it. And right. Copy. They get to dump all of this, the strange governments that we've created that are all tied to some land base. They can leap beyond them. And that's starting to happen. Um, Binance was started in China. And Chinese, the Chinese government said that they were going to make Bitcoin illegal because they wanted to control everybody with a renminbi. And they weren't letting B leave the country either. They were really trying to clamp down on the Chinese. Well, the Binance guy, he's created a billion-dollar business without – In about 18 months. In about 18 months. And he said, well, I've got to get out of here. So he went to Singapore. And when they started to reach in and create more regulations for him, he went to Malta. I believe there will be more entrepreneurs like that where it just starts – people start thinking, wait – why be in China when I can go to Japan where they've made Bitcoin a national currency? So just taking it um, back to the start. So uh, one of our previous guests was the CEO of Draper Esprit in London, Simon Cook. Um, and he told He's us. He's terrific. What an he innovator. Is. I know. He's amazing. He, he listed Draper Esprit. Yeah. And it was a huge risk. At the time, a huge risk for all of us. And he went and he did it, and he's capitalized on it, and he keeps growing it, and that business is going very, very well. And also, as an entrepreneur, I have to say he is one of the nicest people in the UK to other entrepreneurs. As an investor, whether oh. he invests in you or not, he is just outstanding. I think he's got a good entrepreneurial spirit himself. He really does, yeah. So as a venture capitalist, that makes him more empathetic. Yeah. He has been terrific. They've done many, many innovative things there. And I think he's in the catbird seat right now because I get the feeling that Europe might – Europe is going to rise again. I have that feeling because I think there were were the innovative Europeans that sort of took over the world and then there were the wine and cheese Europeans who just kind of lived off of, you know, whatever these other guys had built. And now their kids are coming up and going – 
No, we want to do something. We want to innovate. We want to start something with our lives. And that's going to be a really exciting time. And since Europe generally has good rule of law and a lot of good competitive countries within Europe, I think you're going to see uh, Europe be one of the next entrepreneurial hotbeds. Well, here's And so I hope they all come to Draper Esprit or to Draper Associates for their funding. What he actually or come shared, to Draper University to learn. And then go there. And then go right? out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, by the way, that's only a five-week program. We're not going to – I would never deign to take four years from an entrepreneur's life. Well, we can come on to that very shortly. But what I wanted to just touch on was um, the history of your, your family. So um, legend has it the Draper family invented venture capital for all intents and purposes. How, how do you tell that? It's not quite true, uh, but my grandfather was the first venture capitalist on the West Coast, and my father was the first venture capitalist to use the GPLP relationship, where they built that relationship. Okay. And uh, they cut new turf. They both cut new turf. They did extraordinarily innovative things, and fortunately, I grew up in that family, and I... Last thing in the world I wanted to do was be a venture capitalist when I grew up because my dad was and my grandfather was. But I How realized your kids feel. Well, I've got three yeah, yeah. three kids who are venture capitalists yeah, now, so they all feel like, wow, I guess we just were born into this too. And what happened was I I loved entrepreneurs so much, and I realized that I, there were so many things I wanted to do with my life, and venture capital allowed me that the ability to work with entrepreneurs to do those extraordinary things. So So you've just listed the two things, you know, your grandpa did X, your father did Y. Presumably the thing that you're bringing new to the space is this concept with Draper University, which is, and I'm sure amongst other things, one of them. them. I say that I spread venture capital and entrepreneurship around the world, which I did. I worked. And that's by licensing out the Draper name. Yeah, and working with, uh, we were the first Silicon Valley venture firm to go to China, for instance first Silicon Valley venture firm to go to many of the cities in the U.S. and the first to go to maybe 14 or 15 other countries. Mm. Um, We were pioneers in that way. So, yeah, we did have an impact that way. And then Draper University was um, started because I felt like, you know, the world needs more heroes. It needs more people who are willing to try things, become entrepreneurs, take that step, take that risk. And we're, we're all better off when they do because then they use all their innovation and all their creativity and all their drive. They work harder to make something great, make the world a better place. And you have your, you have your um, saying, you've just mentioned it, you know, the whole theme around here is around heroes and superheroes. Can you talk to us about this? Obviously, this is an idea that stemmed from your book. I'm sure before your book, um, a long a long time coming. Can you talk to us about the idea of uh, being the hero? Yeah, to be a hero, you have to take long odds at an extraordinary outcome. You have to think, I know this may not work, but I've got to do it. In my heart, I've got to do it. The world's walking off a cliff. I have to stand there and stop them. They're, the world's doing something that just doesn't make sense. I've got to stand up against that. Or, hey, my company is not doing what it should be for its customers. 
I need to start a company that does a better job for its customers. All of these things are heroic because they require someone to take a, take a risk, to stop being on the path, and to start being on the real path, their real spiritual path, <clears throat> and stop being on the track, like on the train track, and go and do something that may be hard and may be challenging and will have lots of resistance, but maybe at the end of it all, it may do something far more extraordinary than they could ever have done just swimming with the, with the rest of the salmon. But here, <clears throat> here is a challenging concept, but if, if everyone goes on the entrepreneurial journey, who on earth are they going to employ to help support them to serve their customers? AI. I think people are going to be able to use AI in a lot of different ways. And I think there's a huge premium this generation on creativity and I think that premium will expand as people realize that using artificial intelligence or robotics or whatever, they're going to be able to accomplish so much more than their fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers did. So this is really exciting. And that people say, oh, AI is going to take all our jobs. Well, the jobs that are menial and repetitive and boring – those jobs, sure, that's going to take. So then your life will be that much better. You can abstract from your job and become uh, more of a thinker and less of a machine. Might as well let the machines do the machine's work. I totally agree. However, not everyone has um, as positive a view on AI as you. So, for example, uh, one of your own friends, Elon Musk, is uh, hugely fearful of AI and the implementation of it. Do you ever have late night whiskey conversations with him, battling it out, arguing about what's right and what's wrong? Um, no, I don't drink whiskey. <laughs> um, but the uh, I I think that we disagree on that. He has such extraordinary vision for the planet, for the other planets, for how to save the planet, how to improve the planet. I'm amazed that he doesn't also see how extraordinary it is when a machine does a human's work so that the human can abstract themselves and become more like him. Yeah. And more creative and more daring and more trying new things because the machine can do all the boring stuff. We're trying to create the machine that can replace the venture capitalist. There certainly are going to be machines in the next two or three years that at least enhance it and at most replace the job of the accountant and the lawyer and the banker. Bitcoin's replacing the banker, the blockchain's replacing the accountant, and the smart contracts replacing the lawyer. These professions do do a lot of things repetitively. So why not put that repetitive part into software where that part can be managed by machines so that the human like a trading algorithm. is freed up. Absolutely. It's interesting, though, because um, you are such a – you're well known to be, and like I say, in uh, the short time being together, a people person. And you get the vibe around here that, uh, you know, this is all very much uh, – of course, they have to have a sound business, and of course, they have to make a return on investment because this isn't a charity. But um, it's investing in people. The less you go, the better. The more vision, the better. Like all the wonderful things you want a founder to have. Um, do you, Big do you, do you ego's not you always bad. 
Sure. Oh, the ego is not always bad. But it, you, you, it, you, it, the ego has to be in a specific area. You know, I am the best at yeah. brain surgery for the frontal cortex. Yeah. You know, that kind of ego is okay. Yeah. yeah. But the idea of replacing... Oh, by the way, yes. I do think that in Europe, people have to get rid of a few thoughts. One is, whenever I hear, that's impossible, I always think, well, how would you do it? Mm. Because impossible is a word I hear a lot in Europe, and I don't think it needs to happen because nothing's impossible. Anything is possible. The other thing is I, I hear the words like, let's be reasonable or, or um, yes, but in reality, whatever. That's their reality. But you can create your own reality. You can create a new world that's better than the one that is let's be reasonable or let's be adults about this or let's be re rational or whatever. So those are a couple of things. And then there's um, humble. It's a great honor to be humble in Europe. I encourage you to be bold rather than humble. I get that you don't want to brag. Yeah. But you kind of have to tell the world what you're doing if you're going to be really extraordinary and heroic. But you say that, and it's interesting insight, you know, the top venture capitalists that are respected here, yourself included, would generally be considered humble. Maybe, but I boast about where we're going and what Bitcoin can do and how we can change the healthcare system. So I do that boasting. Right, okay. I think think it's okay to do that. That's kind of inspiring, though, as in you're trying to... Maybe um, it's semantics. Yeah, possibly. Probably but, yeah, is. But I, I, I broadly but totally I do, agree. But I do like to get rid of the word impossible and think anything's possible. I completely agree. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. 
And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Let's bring it back to uh, your investment portfolio so far. Okay. So uh, the big hitters, the notable ones, obviously. I love how you say so far. That's great. So far. I know, because I'm always still thinking, a young what's man. next? Still a young man. I know, and I'm you always got... thinking, what's next? <laughs> exactly. And people sort of are always looking back and going, wow, you did Tesla and all these other great companies. Well, but they aren't thinking about what we are doing now. And Twitter and right. Baidu. Right. Not bad choices. SpaceX, yeah. SpaceX, yeah. So you've, done, you've picked a few winners, let's yeah. just say that. But what is next? Like, what are, what are the other ones that well, you look we, to? Well, we also did Twitch TV and we did Robinhood and we did – so some of these that are coming up now, yep. Coinbase. And we are constantly looking for what the next really exciting thing will be. And we're, we're always looking for the things that – People aren't really thinking about. They aren't really looking at, except that one entrepreneur out there is saying, yes, this could be really an interesting thing. I can take this technology and apply it to this industry and look what we could potentially do for the customer. When I hear that, I say, oh, interesting. This is something new. And what about non-tech? I know it's like a weird thing to ask in Silicon Valley, but, you know, Obviously, healthcare covers tech as well in a lot sure. of in a lot of cases. Do you look at any industries that are more purely creative or well, more product based? You could argue that everything we do is tech because it's new. It's something new. An entrepreneur has started a business because he or she feels like this is a better way to do something, and I need to show the world that this is a better way to do things. So I don't think you would do. Unless, you know, there are Chinese knockoffs, but they're still innovative because they're bringing a technology they've seen in the U.S. or in Europe, and they're bringing it to China, and that's the innovative thing. But then beyond that, they start innovating on top of it, and then you find out that the thing that they copied doesn't look anything like the thing they've created. And suddenly there's a new technology that's come out of China that looks better than anything we're seeing in the US or Europe. And that, that as long as an idea is crazy enough and ambitious enough? It's got to be ambitious enough. It's got to be a big market. They have to have be taking a very a new technology into that market and that technology in some way they've had have to have figured out a business model where they can change that industry. And if they do that, that's enough for me to want to back them. Now it's good if they also are kind of meant to do this with their life so that it's more than just a money-making excursion. Okay, so um, coming on to uh, a, an important point, because you've touched on Bitcoin, of course, as you uh, are famed to do. As I understand it, uh, one of the main benefits you see from Bitcoin is the ability to be in control of your own flow of the investments. You can take it out whenever you want. You can put it back in whenever you want, et cetera, et cetera. And I read something um, about you discussing secondary equity and how the venture capital system is kind of broken in the sense of you're stuck with a billion dollar worth of shares in Uber. You can't even buy a coffee with that. Right. Can you talk to us very quickly about what the secondary market is and what your insight is there? And is that something you're looking to approach from a venture capital point of view in the near future as the Draper superhero with your cape on? Mm -hmm. I saw this problem in about 2005 after they had 
created the Sarbanes-Oxley law that made it very difficult for any company to ever go public. Company now has to be, and with all the regulations they've added, company now has to be worth about $5 billion before it's worth it to go public. So I have looked for every possible innovation to create more liquidity. Liquidity is the, if I have a house and you have a farm, I starve and you die of exposure if we aren't able to trade. If we're able to trade, um, you know, I'll take a potato for a room at the inn. It's a good deal. We look, yeah, it's a good deal. So that's why we need a bank to value those so that we can value those things and say, well, no, it's like 30,000 potatoes for a room at the inn. And so I have a credit in the bank. Well, now Bitcoin is that credit. So we can create more liquidity that way. I believe that all of these currencies have created a new liquidity for a lot of people who were unbankable, who were trying to get money across borders, who were trying to move, leave their country and go to a safer country and try to pull the money down. A lot of great things have happened because of Bitcoin. But the liquidity thing where the regulators are trying to protect the widows, but what they've done is they've put a a rule down that's made it so difficult that young people can't take a risk with their money. I mean, if you're 25 starting your career and you want to go back sort of a, a unique horse that could become a unicorn, you want to go ahead and put some money behind it. You can't do that. You're not allowed to. But I do understand that you don't want the widow in America specifically as the well, widow right? to put that last dollar into somebody who's sort of a you know not creating any value. Well, in Europe now, in London, I know that the UK law has allowed much more crowdfunding, a lot more liquidity, and I think what they're doing is saying, "Hey, we want to be the financial center again, and here's how we're going to get it." And I think this is something I touched on earlier. Governments now have to compete to attract capital, to attract people, to attract businesses. And that is pretty exciting. But the more regulations governments put on people, the less able those people are to succeed and prosper in their life. Uh, So people will move to other places that are more liquid. Anyway, these tokens are also making it so potentially people could um, buy private stock, tokenize it, and sell the tokens. But while that kind of circumvents the current law in the U.S., all the rest of the planet is very happy that they can do that. Look, you have a successful book published called How to Be a Startup Hero. I guess the... Um, Glad you're pushing the book. I am pushing I, the book. Absolutely. I'm, I'm loving having written it. We have a few authors on our show. I've actually got a book for you to give away, um, Be More Pirate, uh, which we can talk about another time. Okay. That's his episode. But How to Be a Startup Hero, which is a must read if you are into entrepreneurship full stop. I don't actually think it's even limited to just you are an entrepreneur. I think it's a fascinating book with a very clear perspective. I guess my question is, uh, what made you want to delve into the world of book writing at all? Because that is usually the 
kind of thing that tops most people off. They're like, I can do everything. I can't do this. Fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> but you managed to get through it. So, What happened was I always wanted to eventually write a book. And I'm sure that's true of a lot of people in the world. And I thought, well, if I don't do it now, when's it going to happen? And then I thought, well, when can I possibly do it? I have so many. My days are so scheduled. Well, it turns out that if you've got an iPhone and lots of airplanes that you have to be in, you can actually get a book written. And so I wrote my book on the iPhone, most of it on airplanes. And, and a specific uh, app? Is that like a book writing app? Oh, yes. I used Captio. Okay. And I capture it there, and then you hit send, and it goes to your email. And then once it's in your email, then you can put it in Word or any kind of uh, editing document. Yeah. There was a, a page, which is just uh, your order of what you want on that flight, and I just didn't know where that came from. No, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> The red well, line has the peanuts, been, what on earth has that got to do with anything and, in this story? And, and what was great about writing the book was I started the school and I started to get a lot of the same questions, and I started to tell the same stories. And I thought, oh, wow, if I just put this down, then they get the stories, and they don't have to um, hear me every time. Because I won't be here forever, but hopefully the school will. And so I started to put it down. So I wrote it really for the school, and I thought about my children and maybe their children and what they could, how they could benefit from my stories. We have a pledge at the school. And it's, it starts, I will promote freedom at all costs. I will do everything in my power to drive, build, and pursue progress and change. Down a little bit, it says, I will fail and fail again until I succeed and explore the world with gusto and enthusiasm. And I thought I could actually tell a story about why each of these things is in interesting. And that's what I did. And that's where like I created the book. Yes. And then uh, the last third of the book, or maybe last quarter of the book, is, okay, here you've had your hero training. Now you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start a business, here's what you have to think about. So the nuts and bolts are at the end. The things you might uh, find in any other entrepreneur book, although mine are a little bit more progressive, as you say. They're a little bit more like, hey, you really need to be changing something. If you're going to actually dedicate your life to something that is going to be new, you know, you're actually changing something, you better read this. So my, um, my, my university journey was, um, I look back on it on frustration, uh, as in why did I bother? And ever since, you know, starting in a entrepreneurship, which has been an eight year journey now, I just spent all my time reading and upskilling on soft skills, etc., which leads me, of course, to asking you to talk about what Drape University is all about, because it is solving the exact problem, but I can't get those years back. <laughs> right. Oh, I know. Well, your, your kids can, can exactly. dig in and try it. Here's something that kind of happened. There are a few things. One is I always felt like I learned more when I did things. So there are a lot of projects we put people on there. And I knew that I worked harder when I had to work and I was responsible for someone else. So it's all team-based. So it's all team-based and project-oriented. But when I was starting the school, I went to my lawyer and I said, well, what do I need to know? And he went through this whole long list. The lawyer is a barrister. Sorry. Uh, went through a whole, <laughs> whole long list of all these things I would have to do, become accredited and do all these things. 
And I said, well, wait a second. I remember I went to Andover in Massachusetts for high school, and they weren't accredited. Best high school in the country, not accredited. And I said, well, what if I don't want to be accredited? And then he said, well, then you don't have to do any of these things. So I've kind of made that my laundry list of things to do the opposite of. So I go through the uh, what you have to do to be an accredited school, and then I go and I say, okay, well, to get an A, you have to make no mistakes. So I say the only way you get hero points is to try something ridiculous and fail or succeed at it. Everything is tied to the individual learner in the accredited system. What we do is we tie it to the team. You are a part of this team. The team either lives or dies by your actions. You live and breathe with your team. And then a lot of the accreditation is tied to the safety and security of the student. And they, they try to create Bubble Boy. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes, anyway. I have, yeah. Well, they try to create Bubble Boy. Uh, so what we do is instead we just have all our students sign their life away <laughs> when they come to Draper University. And then we take them through survival training with Navy SEALs and Special Forces. And we, we challenge them to swim if they don't know how to swim. We challenge them to do things that might not always be the safest thing, but will definitely be the one that moves society forward. It's so, all about building resilience. Yeah. And the school is fun and dynamic, and we get them all to know each other. And they come from now, we've had 1,000 students. They've come from 75 different countries. They've started 350 companies. And uh, also, they generate a lot of our deal flow. They send me a ton of other companies that are just friends of theirs that are starting businesses. Is there a funding model based on it? We set up a very small fund that will invest no more than $100,000 in any of them uh, that is only for students and alums of Draper University. Uh, so that's kind of ex- an exciting perk that yeah, they get that'd be amazing for being if you to map that journey in 20 years and look at the success or failure rate of that process in action and, you know, living by your own uh, mantra, you know, being able to iterate that to get to the right point so that more and more of them are successful. That should be super We actually think... We actually think we're starting to get what we were looking for, whereas Harvard and Stanford might say we can get 85% of our people employed right out of school. Well, they come out of Draper University, and on average, they create three new jobs. So it's a whole different way of looking at the world. It's like it's my job to go create jobs for other people rather than me, me, me. It's like for everyone. And I'm going to create something really of great value for everyone so all those customers will be happy. So it's just a different way of looking. And um, the gusto and enthusiasm and fail and fail again are things that stick in students realizing that we are a school that encourages, doesn't just accept, encourages failure. And if you are in that kind of a school, you go, hey, well, let's just try it. Yeah, take a risk. Let's see what happens. We'll try it. You know, the building is pretty solid. It, I think it can take a few bombs and, you know, Well, crazy, let's, hope, let's hope it's not a few uh, practical <laughs> experiments like that. Maybe not. <laughs> leave, leave that to the science labs down the road. But, yeah. hey, you know, just talking about uh, you mapping out your journey and looking back on making sure, uh, you know, this, this is a success. Um, 
you know, you look um, almost ageless, I would say. Oh, you're you know, very it's the, kind. It's the health. It's the health. Well, when you come from Britain, everyone looks a bit unhealthier anyway. But that's a whole <laughs> other story for another time. Well, they're tough. They, Are you, they yes. do it without the sun. Exactly. Yeah. With our vitamin D supplements. Right. But on that note, you know, do you do biohacking? Do you take vitamin supplements? What's your, like, you know, living in Silicon Valley, what's your diet? What's your regime? What do you do? What do you try? Are you open-minded to nootropics? Like all this stuff. En- enlighten us. Yeah, I think... I think I, when people say, well, what sports do you play? I just say all of them. And so that I will go swim in the ocean. I will go play tennis. I will go play football. I will go play basketball. And I'm 60, but I'm still doing it. And I think there's a little bit of use it or lose it feeling where, like, I better keep doing this or I won't be able to. And I, so I keep going. And so that's with the keeping my body active thing. My days are very different from other people, and I don't drink, and I don't drink coffee. Actually, funny, I didn't drink coffee until I heard that it was it was a non-starter for Parkinson's. My mom had Parkinson's, and so did her father. So I, I thought, well, I might as well just like once every two weeks I'll yeah. go drink yeah. some coffee. And so I'm doing that. So I'm not the typical person in the Silicon Valley. You noticed I'm wearing a suit and tie. You are. There are lots of reasons for it. I started just because I went to Harvard Business School, and that's how they trained us. And after that, it just became the uniform I never had to change, and I didn't have to think about in the morning. And then over time, the ties became a brand. And then I realized that if I walked into a store, they would uh, treat me better uh, if I were wearing a tie or whatever. Then I remember walking into a store with sweats on over my pajamas. Uh, I had to go get some drug for my kid in the middle of the night. And they were trying to walk me out of the Safeway saying, sir, can I help you? I said, well, yeah, I need need a prescription for my kid. (laughs) They didn't realize. Anyway, dressing, it does make a difference. And I never know who I'm going to meet with or where I'm going to be. Sometimes I get called away for press events, for speaking engagements, for And sometimes I'm meeting with investors. It turns out having a good, consistent way of dressing that is good, people feel good about seeing you, works pretty well. Uh, What's your next book going to be about? Any exclusives for us? So I'm playing around with two different things, and I'm not sure which I'm going to do. So So I tend not to want to tell you until then. I did say in the book that I was thinking the next book might be called The Startup Government. My dad's book was called The Startup Game. My book was called Startup Hero or How to Be the Startup Hero. And I think startup government is kind of where we're headed. And so maybe somebody will write it for have me. You read I won't startup have Startup Nation to. about Israel? No. Oh, you'd love that as well. Oh, that's great. Oh, some good recommendations you're getting. Oh, yeah. Ooh, you're, yeah. you, you, you're well-read. You very well-read. Because I, I, I studied English at university, which set me on the wrong course. But I fell in love with reading, but never fiction again, because they stuffed a book down your throat every week. Now I just read soft-skill-type oh, books and funny. whatever. So I read a lot of science fiction. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read science yeah. fiction for a long time. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. it's starting to get good again. It, okay. was, it was great way back when, yeah. and then it was kind of got into the fantasy thing, and yeah. it was okay. But After it Philip K. Dick died, invi- it all went downhill. <laughs> didn't inv- uh, invent anything really new in those books, 
But now with crypto, wow, sci-fi is taking off. Oh, interesting. And VR, there's some really interesting things happening. Yeah. Ready uh, Player One, you've got to read that. Yes, I know. My wife keeps telling me that, yeah. and I've still and, not done and it. And Krypton is okay. pretty good. There's some really fun things happening in sci-fi. So just to take a serious moment right before we let you go, one of the things you'll have seen throughout your career from the people you work with is that um, there's a lot of buzz about how exciting and awesome it is to run a startup and everything's great and you earn all these millions of pounds and billions of dollars and everything's wonderful. But in reality, the whole thing's a shit show. And usually you're just dealing with immense stress, often very depressing and dark times. And it is important we feel and as our responsibility in this series with the heroes and leaders that we speak about to actually delve into that a tiny bit and discuss, you know, some of the darker days. Sure. And so, you know, being an entrepreneur is really tough and people have had real breakdowns, real difficult times. Uh, A lot of my job can be psychological uh, where I, I'm a coach as much as I am an investor. Some entrepreneurs run into problems where they just don't know enough or they just feel like they're on their last gasp. What I can tell people is when you feel like you're on your last gasp, it's often the case that you are not on your last gasp, you are just about to hit it big. And so many companies go out of business just before the big customer arrives or just before, just blow just it just on. too early. So my recommendation is spend as little cash as you possibly can until you have that market product fit. Once that is a good fit, then go ahead and pour it on and hire salespeople and do whatever you, it is you have to do. But until then, keep it really tight with just you and your tech founders and and keep it really very lean until you know you've got at least three customers that are just dying to do something with you. So the last question, and you're going to have to be succinct, as you know, what's next for Tim Draper? Oh, well, I, I think it's um, more of the same. I think we are building out the venture business. We're building out the school, and we're building out the accelerator incubator. And it may be that we start putting this kind of an ecosystem in other places, and that's a possibility. But for now, we're just making it work here. And that has been an ongoing struggle, and now it looks like it's working. And so we're just going to keep piling that on. Uh, The other part of my life that's kind of interesting is going and meeting with leaders of various countries and uh, advising them on how to start thinking of government as both a virtual and a physical thing. It's interesting. They're getting, they're very receptive. And now I'm kind of starting to make a name for myself doing that. And you heard it here first as well. So start up government with Tim Draper, the next big thing for borderless governments. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. Next week on Secret Leaders. I do get frustrated sometimes, especially in places like San Francisco, where it's an incredibly politically disengaged community, even though people are constantly striving to do better and they're philanthropically active in some ways. But people, if you're like, who's your mayor? You know, when was the last time you voted? I think many of them wouldn't know. 
That was Clara Brenner, the founder of the Urban Innovation Fund in San Francisco, whose venture capital fund is designed to invest in entrepreneurs changing the landscape and shape of the cities we live in. As you can imagine, there's a lot of change coming in the world of city planning. So to hear what kind of ideas they're working on and how and why she started this fund, you'll have to tune in next week or you'll miss out. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by your host, that's me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer, Rich Martell, edited by Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and if you've heard this, it'll probably have something to do with Jennifer Osman in Canada. You'll also notice throughout this series, we've got some beautiful illustrations made for every episode, and that's all thanks to Christina Naru of smartupvisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming Secret Leaders live events on secretleaders.com. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe on whatever media player you use. Just follow us at Secret Leaders on Instagram or at Secret Leaders One on Twitter. And tell just one friend about how freaking awesome this episode is. If you want to go the extra mile, I'm at Dan Murray Serta on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'd love to see you take some screenshots of the episode you're listening to and share it across your social media. It'll bring a tear to our eye and joy to our hearts. See you next week. Tune in or you'll miss out.